What is going on? You are listening to Tags Podcast, aka Talk About Gay Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Steve V, and this is episode 290. Today, alongside Jeremy Ross Lopez. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Doing really good uh, as we record this Monday night. Um, how was your weekend? It was very good. Got lots and lots of sun, super tan. Uh, we are trying to like get all the good weather in because we had a very rainy summer yes. so far. So I'm very excited for the recent sunshine. Yeah, I myself, I know you went to the beach. I went to the beach this weekend as well. I had what I consider kind of the perfect 24 hours. I've done this before. I went to Fire Island here in New York and in Long Island, and I took advantage of um, this group that we've had on the show before, MMX, uh, Male Massage Exchange. You guys could check it out at mmxnyc.com. And they're a really great organization that... You can learn about massage, you can trade massage with, it's an online platform, so kind of a social media thing. And then they offer classes on yoga, naked yoga, fitness, and then more sexy, like tantra, edging classes and so forth. And then they do fun stuff on the island, like a full moon naked party, which is kind of cool. And the one I took advantage, they had a pool party jockstrap on Saturday, and they were looking for a volunteer in exchange for a room for the night. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to try and take advantage of that because how fun would that be? I, let me tell you, I had so much fun. I went to the underwear party in Cherry Grove at the Ice Palace Friday night. I, the house I stayed in, the boys all shout out to everybody that I stayed with that were so accommodating and I met so many fun people. I went the day of the party, the setup was really easy. And then I had all day at the beach. And so I had, if you checked out our social media, I had an umbrella and a chair. I was like, good to go. I got in the water, I got (laughs) some sun. And then the party, I had... Shout out to Kel and Kyle, who worked with me at the clothes check. Let me tell you, it was a jockstrap pool party from five to nine that the jocks came off around seven o'clock and plenty of hot sex going on. (laughs) More to come on the after show this week. You can get extra special content um, and take advantage of that because I will be sharing some of the stories. But I had such a blast and got back on the ferry. I and mean, it was the perfect 24 hours in the pines that made my hot back summer. So super happy about that. Love that. Yeah, yeah, really great. Um, all right, well, let's get into it. A little bit later in this show, I've got an interview with uh, director Michael Thomas of his brand new documentary, Jamel and Tim. And it's essentially playing, it's at Outfest, played yesterday, but you can watch it virtually right now for the next couple of days. But he will be making the festival rounds and it will have a release called Jamel and Tim, basically about Ed Buck, who took advantage of various people often african-american gay men and and injected them often with meth and it's just 
crazy story, but this actually focuses on Jamel and Tim, who didn't make it, but it's a really moving, important documentary. And stay tuned for that interview coming up a little later in this episode. Well, we've got some news to report. Uh, Jeremy and I were just talking about prep offline before we got on this call. And Gilead, who makes various versions of them, just put out two of our HIV drugs were tampered with. And essentially, Gilead announced this morning that there have been tampered there that there have been tampered with and counterfeit versions of the company's HIV treatment drug, Bic. Tarvi and its HIV treatment and prevention drug Discovi, all circulating in the U.S. And the company said in a statement that distributors that were not authorized by Gilead to sell its brand of medication had sold the counterfeit drugs to pharmacy where Gilead drug bo- bottles had been tampered with. Um, you know, and you can imagine how serious this can be because they still don't exactly know what the counterfeit drug was, Jeremy. But wow. the other thing is, if if it was just like a placebo and here you are thinking you're taking it for preventative reasons, right. you weren't getting that. Right. People should just look at uh, the pills. Essentially, Gilead described authentic Bictarvi tablets as purplish brown capsule-shaped pills with the number 9883. So again, if it's if you have Bictarvi, make sure that they're purplish-brown, capsule-shaped pills with the number 9883 on one side, and the other one, Discovy, that we were talking about should be blue and rectangular with the number 225 on one side. So again, Discovy, blue and rectangular with the number 225 on the other side. And those who may have received the fake or tampered bottles are asked to report the medicine to their doctor and pharmacy and encouraged to contact Gilead. That's just crazy. That right, is, Jeremy, when you hear about that? It's scary. I mean, it, only because if you didn't know and then you, like you said, and you're thinking that <clears throat> you're protecting yourself and it's just like very nerve wracking to know that that situation is out there and that that happened. Yeah. Right. For a lot of reasons. And what, by the way, were you even taking? Exactly. (laughs) The other question too. So a lot of questions. I just hope that everybody, I know this news story was making the waves. I hope that even by us sharing with you, just take a look at your bottle. I know that mine, I'm, I have a generic version of the one I'm taking right now. It's neither of those two. And I know at one point I had a chance to switch over to Discovy. And you just did a little more research and I decided to have my doctor keep me on this generic version that I'm currently on. But yeah, just keep an eye out for that or look at your bottle and just make sure everything's copacetic because we mm-hmm. want you to remain safe. Definitely. Well, You know how we give advice on this show, sex and relationship advice, and I wanted to report in about somebody that we gave advice to who wanted to, we always ask you if you can, follow up, if like what's going on now. And to refresh your memory, the guy initially wrote in to us and he said he's 33-year-old gay cis guy who's really struggling with dating During college, he did a lot of dating around, but didn't enter anything overly serious until after college. And since then, he wrote, at the time, I've been in two serious relationships. And this was the one where he said, 
The first was four years long and the other about three, but he also told us that both of those relationships were toxic. They were both mentally and physically abusive and were addicts, meth, meth to be more specific. He said, I drink and smoke pop and have rarely done anything more and I've never used meth. And in the three and a half years since, he spent a lot of time working on building myself up and building my life. And he said he's not a perfect 10, but he's good looking. He works full time, owns his own home and car, loves to travel and camp with my dog and friends, and I'm ready to start dating again. But he asked at the time, he had no idea how to begin. He wrote that the apps have been great for sex, but anytime I meet someone from the apps or from anywhere, I freeze up and it becomes incredibly awkward for everyone involved. And he wanted some advice on how to relax and enjoy these dates and how to keep my anxiety down while on these dates. So I do you remember that one when he wrote it? I in? do, yeah. You gave some great advice, I remember, about the park and so forth. And I wanted to just um, shout out to you, Mike. We'll call you Mike here. Because um, he wrote back in and he said, hey, guys, so I wanted to follow up. I've been on a few dates and even a few second dates. I've done a mix of park walks with my dog and sometimes there's theirs if they have one and a few coffee dates he also wrote i remember you gave that advice too Mm -hmm. um your advice has helped keep things calm and casual and minimized my anxiety through it all he wrote thank you so much for the advice you have no idea how much i appreciate not only your advice but also your podcast in general well thank you mike that's really awesome to hear and i'm really glad um some of our advice was put to good use right jeremy yeah, I love that. I'm so happy that it came in handy. And uh, we did give a bunch of like different choices, not choices, but just different ideas of uh, what could work organically and make someone feel comfortable. Yeah. And in rereading it again, it's just, you know, when somebody I, I can often, especially as things started opening up post pandemic or the pandemic we're still in, I guess, but as things started opening up again, I noticed like with large, those large parties, not necessarily like the party I worked, but parties that I may have gone to in the past, like circuit events, I found myself saying no to a lot of those because I feel those give me anxiety and Mm -hmm. I just, it's an easy one to avoid because they're kind of expensive. So I'm not really mad at that, but yeah, anxiety is a real thing, and we all have it in different ways, and finding ways to minimize it is always a good thing. So thanks, Mike, for writing back in and keeping us posted. We appreciate it. In other advice, somebody just wrote in uh, earlier today, and they wanted some advice. I'm going to read it. Uh, they said, I really enjoy your shows, and here is my issue. So I usually use the apps for hookups, and I am a top. And I would say a very hung top. All right, now (laughs) (laughs) I meet a bottom on the. uh, I meet a bottom on the app. I I usually host. I have met several men who are just not active bottoms. They are. They just lay there with no feedback, or they just simply. They're just simply there to get fucked and nothing else. So in other words, he writes, no oral, nothing. And in several encounters, he wrote, I have even faked coming just to end it all. So since I found them on the app, or in some cases, we have exchanged cell numbers, they keep hitting me up for another hookup. I usually tell them I'm busy or not in the hookup mood, but they keep contacting me. 
since they know where I live and or my number, I don't want to be rude. And his question is, how can you tell a hookup that I'm just not into it without them showing up at my house? And he writes in parentheses, this has happened before and it's very uncomfortable. Signed, a nice top guy. Wow. <laughs> kind of a lot there to unpack. Um First of all, Jeremy, before we get into some more advice, um, I know you like to top, and can you relate to anything what a nice top guy writes of just the person, the bottom just lying there and maybe not being an active bottom? Yeah, I definitely can. I, I think it's always nice to get some sort of reaction, and I totally understand where he is like that situation makes him somewhat annoyed or he doesn't want to repeat it because of the way that it was in the past. Uh, and I do definitely enjoy knowing that someone is really enjoying it. And I think also clearly with some of the people that he said are still contacting him, they obviously did enjoy it, but I do understand the annoyance when you're in the moment of, having no response and someone just laying there and definitely the foreplay aspect of it is if that's missing or just not there at all, non-existent, uh, that's something that I agree with him. I wouldn't be interested in another time, but I also think uh, I always resort back to communication as key. And I think uh, letting someone know before they beforehand and, before they come over that you're really big into something or you just really enjoy something does help. Uh, and I also think it always helps to be honest in sexual situations with someone as well. Uh, but I do also know that some of the conversations to have can be very awkward at times. So I can understand where sometimes you just want to brush it off and like make up little white lies uh, right. One thing that I've used in the past is the excuse that I'm casually dating someone more seriously. It doesn't always work because some people are relentless and they just won't give right. up. But that is definitely a white lie that I've used in the past of just someone that like won't get a clue or won't give up or th that I just don't have any interest in, but I don't want to be rude. So that's just something that some most guys will respect and just back off or I don't know. It's just for me, that's been a, an excuse that's worked in the past. Yeah. It's interesting because as somebody myself as more of a bottom that can be versatile and top at times when if this person has, it sounds like a really hung top and that would be somebody that I would be looking for. And typically for me, just to put myself on that spectrum is I'm all about, if you're a hung top, then I want to suck it beforehand. Mm -hmm. And get, because the reason I went for you possibly was because I love the, you know, a dick and I don't just want to get fucked by it. I also want to like play with it and suck it. And so it's surprising that some people would just be all about the pounding and then that's it. And then coming back for more um, in terms of, you know, I think you're right. Communication definitely 
so I think for a lot of these guys, you know, make sure your profile says, you know, you like to be sucked and some foreplay or you don't want a lazy bottom, you can put it in there. And even if people, I think the, in the communication with new people, you could just say that too in the conversation, right? right? So you could say with, say, a new person that you're communicating with, hey, so are you into it? Yeah. You want to get fucked? Yeah. Um, well, I love getting my dick sucked. And kind of a good bottom in my mind likes to also get good direction. So maybe set the scene a little bit like, yeah, you're going to come over here and I'm going to be ready with my dick out and create almost like a whole scene. And I want you to come over here and service for me. And I'll tell you when I'll tell you how almost be a good dominant, right? Right. So maybe consider taking on a more dominant role and a good dominant gives good direction and a good, most bottoms will take good direction. If you, direct them from the moment it starts on the app to the moment they enter your doorway to it could be very specific like at you know we're going to do this then we're going to do this and you might just have to give them the map in other words and the menu and not skip the appetizer course and go Mm -hmm. right to the dessert you know and so i think if you can take on that dom role and give good direction for new people And then for those that are wanting to come back for seconds and thirds that weren't all that, I say two things. You could, you can block them, which is a severe choice, right, Jeremy? Right. I would definitely block the ones that are showing up at your door or your neighborhood like that. I think that's really uncalled for and scary, to be honest. Don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Those ones I would definitely, and, you know, it might just be a good, you know, that's not cool. Like, please don't show up. Um, right. Those ones, I I feel like uh, you, your safety is always the most important. And I think those you shouldn't be worried about, like, what you would consider rude. You'd have to be honest and be like, it's not cool you showing up without being invited. Like, it, when people take it uh, to a certain extent you always have the right to your own self-respect and your personal safety. Yeah. And so I, I definitely wouldn't have an issue with making that a point to those specific people that just don't take no for an answer or just don't uh, get a clue or get a grip from what you're saying. Yeah, that's definitely uncalled for and put your foot down on that one because that we are in current scary times where you just don't know who is going to show up and what's going on. And you, I mean, I just feel like times are a little crazy right now. And so no one needs like a a one-time hookup showing up in your neighborhood, wandering around. That's just nuts. So, and then lastly, for the ones that maybe hit you up that were deadbeats and and I'm calling them deadbeats. (laughs) Um, I would say you can do a couple of things. One thing I've done with a lot of them is I just ignore it. I just don't respond mm-hmm. if I'm not interested. And there's a couple of people on there when I go on that I've even enjoyed the time with, but I'm not into them for that particular night or 
and they still continuously hit me up. Just I just ignore them. And, you know, hey, no one can fault you for ignoring them. But if you do decide to give them another chance, then I would spell it out on that mm-hmm. second chance. It would be like, hey, what's up? And, and say, hey, you could be really honest with me like, hey, I had a good last time last time, but I'd prefer, you know, I'm really into a little like foreplay. I'm into oral. I'm into you kind of worshiping my cock, being kind of, um, I love it when, if there's a, like be kind of specific mm-hmm. again with the direction Maybe give them one more chance. And if they don't, then block them. If you really want to give it a try again, if you don't, ignore them. And you always have the option to block people. But going right. forward with new encounters, it I feel like you should give... There's I like to use a metaphor for actors because when I was studying acting and my acting days is a lot of actors don't aren't really good with the, you, you know, just show up and like groundlings just, you know, improv it. A lot of actors love good direction and most mm-hmm. actors are really good. They love a script. They love a good director that is going to help them take it off the page, direct you into giving an ultimate good performance. Now, I know that's really elaborate, but you can take aspects of that and it's your time, it's your experience, it's your home that you're hosting and Mm -hmm. you can also direct the experience. And I keep, I was using this word all weekend, experience. Like I just had a great experience and even in a hookup, you want it to be a good experience. And part of it is, particularly if you're hosting, is help give that person direction. And if they see if they respond to that and make them accountable for that, because that's, and if they're not, then, hey, they weren't meant to be there. But I think that will help some of your newer experiences be more enjoyable for you. I don't know. Anything else that you wanted to add to that, Jeremy? Or is No, that... I piggyback all of that. I think that I, I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck with that. A nice top guy. Oh, you sound great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let us know um, how that's working for you. I hope this helps. And if you want sex or relationship advice, we are here for you. DM us on Instagram at tags podcast and we'd be happy to give our our opinion on it we're here for you all right well thank you jeremy this has been a lot of fun as always you can follow jeremy on his instagram page at j ross lopez at j ross lopez and i'll talk to you soon jeremy sounds good absolutely stay tuned for my interview with michael thomas for the film jamel and tim Well, I'm very excited to have my guest on the show. He is the director, executive producer, cinematographer, and co-editor of a brand new documentary premiering at OutFest called Jamel and Tim. Michael Thomas, thanks for doing the show. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Well, 
I saw the film and um, it's really a hard film to watch, but it was, I loved the film first off. And just to tell people about your film, uh, this documentary looks at Jamel and Tim's parallel walks of life through the eyes of their extended families, memories, correspondence, things they did and didn't share with each other, and the reasons that led them to their tragic fate. And the film simultaneously investigates the heinous details of the crimes and offers a cautionary tale that can help these events from happening in the future. And through these in- intimate recollections, recollections of their lost friends each character exposes their own personal journey in dealing with the grief and loss and of course we're talking about meth addiction in this and i remember hearing about the overall uh, the character that's featured in this ed buck in another film that i was covering called crystal city um, that deals with sort of the recovery first off um tell me why you wanted to make this documentary about Jamel and Tim, because I know you had sort of a personal relationship with Tim Dean. That is correct. Um, I play uh, basketball in the Los Angeles Gay Basketball League, the same league where Tim was part of, and also the uh, NGBA, the National Gay Basketball Association. And we met several times. Um, We played several times and um, his best friends are my best friends. so it's, you know, his, his death definitely hit, uh, hit home. Um, and I remember when Tim passed, um, one of Tim's best friends, uh, Alex Herrera, uh, reached out to me to start um, capturing memories from people like other players um, to make sure that all these stories from the history of gay basketball were, were not going to get lost. And last year once the black lives matter movement started um that's when i started asking myself you know what can i do well how can i contribute and you know i make documentary films and it didn't take long for me to to find a story because i knew of course what happened to tim and i looked more into it i talked about it um with my best friend and producer michael franklin to help me out and um first of all i of course reached out to um his friends from basketball to, to get their blessing, to get started. And, and once they did, um, the ball started rolling. And just to give people a little more perspective, basically in 2017 and 2019, respectively, Jamel, Jules Moore, and Timothy Tim Dean, two gay black men, both died of a meth overdose at the now infamous Laurel Street apartment of Ed Buck, a once influential Democratic donor, businessman, and animal, LGBTQ plus political activists. The deaths sent shockwaves through LA's LGBTQ plus community, and particularly in West Hollywood, LA's gay mecca. Um, I remember just hearing all about this and reading a lot about Ed Buck with so many of the stories, even recently with his recent trial, so much of the focus being on Ed Buck. And I think what your film does in such a wonderful way is shine a light on Tim and, and, um, excuse me, your, Jamel. Uh, Jamel. Thank you. And really show, puts a face on these people, not just how they were victims of Ed Buck, but really on their stories. Was that, a? Is, I, I know that you had a personal connection with 
Tim, but talk a little bit about how you wanted to portray these two people in your story, in the real life story. Well, from the beginning, it was clear that we definitely wanted to humanize their stories. And one of the reasons is, like you said, a lot of the press coverage was focused on Ed Buck and all the sensationalized topics, but we didn't really hear of who these people really were. And we thought, you know, by humanizing their stories and giving a little bit of background of who they were and why they made some of the decisions that, uh, you know, uh, that they made and, and, and how they ended up at Ed Buck's place, to give a little bit of context about that, that could help understanding um, stories like this for the future so we can help prevent this from ever happening again. Yeah, and you write that being a part of the LGBTQ plus community in LA, you say that this is a story I'm extremely passionate about for many reasons. And according to the DCD, from 2008 to 2017, the number of fatalities from meth in LA County rose by 707%. And that's approximately one death per day, an alarming trend that you witnessed with your own eyes. And in 2020, you yourself lost a friend due to the meth epidemic. And I'm assuming this is um, Tim that you're referring to, correct? No, this was actually someone else. So oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's it's showing that it's, uh, it's a very big issue. And, you know, and these are numbers from 2017. And right before we were going to lock our film, there were actually new numbers that were published that included uh, the years until 2020. And those numbers even skyrocketed even more. So it's very alarming, the trend of the meth epidemic that's going on, not just in, in L.A., but nationwide and worldwide. So um, I really, really hope that this that this film helps to, sh to shine a light on um, on that issue so um, action can be taken. The other thing that I think is so important is, as we can see, my goodness, with those statistics, it really is preying on the epidemic is certain people preying on a particular community. In this case, we're talking about the black gay community. Um, I've heard others mention the trans community. Um, it's obviously affecting so many within the entire acronym of our community. But how important was it to you and in, in of portraying this, the black gay community, and then talk a little bit about what you mentioned before, the timing of just coming out of what's happening right now, Black Lives Matter. Um, it was very important that those stories were going to be portrayed in the right way. And um, I'm originally from Belgium. Um, I'm a white filmmaker, and I'm very aware of that. <laughs> Right. And it was very important for me to surround myself with people who would keep me accountable for telling the, these stories in the right way. So first of all, there was um, my friend, Michael Franklin, um, who came on board as a producer. And we had pretty much had daily conversations and meetings about this. Um, and then there was also Nick Lewis, who was the editor on the film. And she's a black lesbian woman uh, and also an amazing editor and uh, part of the ballroom community in New York. So, you know, those were two very important voices to help me um, tell these stories in the right way. And um, and it was also important that those stories were being told by the people 
who experienced it and who are experiencing it right now and not just by some voiceover or an expert. Um, you know, I really wanted to hear those stories from um, the, the people who were there with Jamel, who were there with Tim and who witnessed everything with their own eyes. Yes, and it's so powerful hearing their stories, including even seeing Jamel's mother speak out um, about her son. But there is a couple of people in the film you feature that are either potentially still struggling with meth or or survived um, Ed Buck. And I'm just curious how difficult or easy was it to get them to openly speak about their, their, their interactions with Ed Buck and also just with meth? Um, it was not easy. And um, we first had conversations um, prior to the interview. Normally, you know, I would interview and, um, you know, you don't prepare your questions. You, um, you, you know, you just want authentic, uh, real interviews. Not that those were not authentic and real interviews, but I wanted them to feel comfortable with the questions that I was going to ask. And I wanted to, you know, make sure that they were comfortable with topics that were off limit or not like or not. And it was very important that they were comfortable um, throughout this process, because, I mean, I don't think that you can get any more personal than the stories that they shared. So it was absolutely crucial for me that they felt comfortable throughout this process. And um, and we prepared prior to the interview and eventually we did the interview. Yeah, and I'm glad you, at least in this thing I was reading earlier, you give the statistics because relapse for the for people that struggle with addiction, particularly with meth, is a huge issue. And it's shown without giving away too much in the film just how one can be addicted to meth, then have success in their lives and be seemingly going down a, a good path and then have relapse. Um, I think that was really important that you showed that. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about that? And you show that in those two characters I was talking about. Well, the Sam, Sammy, uh, one of Jamel's friends, he gave a, an excellent example. And I thought it was such a, a great example to understand the struggles of an addict. It's, you know, you can be sober for a long time, but if there's just a memory or something that is related to those times that you used to be high and you see it when you're sober, your body instantly gives like the a chemical reaction of that high again. So it's very difficult to deal with those feelings. And, um, and it's very important that you learn the tools on how to deal with that. And unfortunately, Jamel didn't have those tools yet. And because he made the right choice by going back to Houston, by going back to his mother and his family where he was staying clean and he was loved and he was he was in a great place. But unfortunately, he was manipulated to come back and, and he fell into and fell into that trap. And Tim, also, we see going down, you, you do such a good recounting of his story, and, and he just, he's graduating from, from college and has a great job and living finally on his own, and everybody seems to be so happy for him, and it's the same, similar story of being relapsed, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and he was, Tim was a, a late bloomer. He was doing, 
he was at a great place in his life and um, friends were aware of um, his troubles in the past with dealing with addiction. Um, but they, re re they were really convinced that, um, that he conquered that mountain. But, um, you know, he had a weak moment and, uh, and unfortunately Ed Buck um, took advantage of that weak moment and, and it, it cost him his life. Yeah, and I want to just tap really quickly into Ed Buck because your film, and I understand uh, you made this using often video footage that you had. Obviously, you said you were documenting it for their stories in general about basketball. But in terms of Ed Buck, he just had his trial recently. And how talk a little bit about that because you include that in this film about up until recently. Yes, what a roller coaster ride it has been these last couple of weeks. I'll tell you that. Um, yeah, it's um, it was it was kind of a full circle to to complete that toward in the end of the film. Um, it was a, a very hard journey to to witness and to be there every day of the trial. Also, getting getting to know uh, Jamel's family uh, better. And um, it was it was very very intense, um, a roller coaster ride, and to be confronted with all those evidences and and videos and photos, and it, it was it was mind boggling of what was shown in that courtroom. Um, and then at the same time, yeah, you're you're under the pressure to to finish a film um, because the date was set to to release to premiere at Outfest. Um, so we really had to go. Um, into the yeah and in, into overdrive to uh to make it all happen but luckily literally last night we finished the film and it's submitted and uh, and it will be ready to to screen on sunday wow and there is at least some conclusive ending to the story for the family if there can be with the outcome of this um I just want to really talk finally a little bit about the style of your film. Two things about it that I really enjoyed is you do such a good job of going back and forth between Jamel and Tim. In, in other words, of not just showing one story and then going on to the next. And I thought that was a really great way of telling it. If you could talk about that. And then lastly, if you could tap, uh, talk a little bit about um, the great animated graphics that you show in the film and how that came about. Sure. Um, first, let me add one little thing to your previous question, you know, because I mentioned full circle and I mean, of course, full circle for the film, but it was very important for me to add in the end when Jamel's mother says, you know, my this, the life of my son is more than a film or a documentary because their life and their pain and their hurt still continues. So um, I definitely wanted to make the viewer aware of that as well. And that's why it was very important for me to, to add that in there at the end. Um, and then to answer uh, your next question, um, yeah, it was a balancing act between, between both stories. And they had similarities. And that's where it was easy, easier to um, combine both of the stories of Jamel and Tim into, similar, in, into the same scene. But then they also had their own individual journey. So that those scenes, um, you know, deserve their own individual scenes uh, where where either Jamel or Tim was highlighted. So it was a balancing act. And luckily, you know, 
again, uh, Nick Lewis, the, uh, the, uh, the editor was great to work with. And, um, that's how we came to those, those decisions. And the animator, um, Remy and Dow is, is extremely talented and animation. We knew, um, from the beginning that animation was going to be very important because some of the topics and some of the content is very, you know, graphic and, and hard to hear, hard to watch. And we also wanted to handle the subject matter and the content matter with the, with the respect that it deserves. So animation was a way to, to bring certain memories and certain circumstances to life in a respectful and creative way and not just in a graphic or sensational way. So that's why animation was very, very important. Well, well done on that. It's really adds a, a nice layer to your film. Uh, we have to, um, your film is at Outfest and you're screening it this Sunday, August 15th at 4 p.m. in person. And you'll be there, I assume, doing a Q&A. That is correct. And what's also great is there's a virtual screening of your film beginning August 16th through August 18th. And I think people just need to go to outfest.org if you want to get tickets to that so anybody could see it, correct? Correct. Thank you so much, Michael. This is your, I, your film made such an impact, and I encourage everybody to see it. Again, it's called Jamel and Tim, and congratulations on it being premiered at Outfest. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Tags listeners. Craving for more tags? Hungry like I am? Well, now you can unlock exclusive tags content. I'm talking about our weekly tags after show and our twice monthly dark and dirty show. Now you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. You'll get a notice each week when new episodes are dropped exclusively for you. So what are you getting from this exclusive content? Well, you're getting a weekly Tags After Show where the conversation continues with hot gay sex topics in a more relaxed, behind-the-scenes, more intimate format. Our twice-monthly Dark and Dirty Show will often feature special guests like my co-hosts, but gets a little darker and a little dirtier as we reveal our sexcapades to your exclusive ears. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe now to unlock exclusive Tags content and know that you'll be supporting Tags Podcast to continue delivering the quality of Tags Podcast you've come to love. You can unlock this exclusive content by going to tagspodcast.com and click on the link Tags After Show. Thanks for being a supporter and continue having hot gay sex.